guys welcome back to another week another episode thank you guys for joining us so much we have a very special guest we have courtney charles he is the vice president of basketball operations for the toronto 905 the g league affiliate to the toronto raptors and he works for mlsc as well courtney do you want to say hello to the people good morning good afternoon and good evening to whoever you are glad to be here with my three-man crew uh great young man putting in some great work I love it. I love this guy's energy. It's going to be a great interview. You guys are going to enjoy it. And Courtney, thank you so much, man, for coming on. We truly appreciate this and we cannot express our gratitude enough. No problem. My pleasure. Proud of y'all. Thank you. Thank you. So moving on to the first question. Let's learn a little bit about yourself. Take us to the beginning. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? And how did you get into sports and when did you get into sports? Well, you know, the, the, the interesting part is I'm a proud Canadian, but I do have parents from Antigua and Jamaica. So I'm an island person. I love the heat and I wish Canada had a little bit more of that. But besides that, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a man that grew up in North York until uh, I was about seven years old. Then I moved to Scarborough when nobody else was out there. Nothing but a farmland. Um, had to, you know, transition into meeting new friends, going to a new school. Uh, so it was kind of the time of my life when I realized, you know, what goes into a new environment and what goes into uh, figuring out, you know, kind of your new surroundings. And um, Scarborough's been great, man. It's it's something that uh, doesn't get highlighted enough. It's something that uh, has really produced a lot of talent. You know, I grew up on the streets um, of Alton Tower Circle where, all, out, you know, Anson Carter lives. Um, I grew up in an area where Kevin Weeks um did his thing you know these are a few young uh, black men that grew up in an area um that we can be truly proud of our success you know one of my best friends is mark taylor who's an actor uh, he lived just down the road from me uh, and there's many more but you know those are just a couple of the, the icons who i was able to use as um motivation and inspiration uh to try to be something um great wow that's so you said a lot. You dropped a lot of names there. I mainly did it because you guys are hockey guys. So I wanted to make sure it was relatable. Yeah, I love it. I was just about to say, um, what kind of relationship do you have with Anson Carter, if any? So Anson and I don't talk as often. He's doing a lot of the stuff in the TV world. Kevin Weeks was kind of the one who I kind of kept in a good relationship with and, and still talk to today. Um, he kind of was the one, you know, Anson used to just beat us up in hockey on the street when we used to play um i remember you know i'm a couple years uh younger than him am i i can't even remember now between him and kevin weeks but the way he used to uh always tell me to go in net so he can take slap shots on me um as if i was supposed to be some great goalie kevin's the goalie um but i just remember playing in the streets and, and playing hockey uh the story i tell people about anson is he was the first one to ever get rollerblades um this is this is obviously dating myself because Kids nowadays, they got electric go-karts. They're not even worried about rollerblades. But um, Anson Carter got rollerblades, and I remember him coming out with them on the first first time, and it was like, you know, when somebody gets a new pair of Jordans or something, you're just like, wow, what are those? Those are amazing. And then he obviously was doing his ballet dance 
you know, down the street in these things, just, you know, just going as fast as he could and smooth. And it was an amazing thing to see. And it was something where I started to realize the talent that went into the sport was just, you know, the, 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 the ability to skate and to be able to move and to be, you know, an athlete on, on these, on these inline skates um, is what they called them. Um, and then Kevin and I, Kevin was kind of like the one who, he, you know, he kind of shared along his stories about just how it was different to be in hockey as a black person, you know, and the racism um, that's set up in, and, and, and then he's trying to be a goalie, which was also then difficult in hockey. Um, so he was kind of like the person who kind of inspired me from a young age. And then when he got drafted in 93, I tell people all the time, Michael Jordan wins a championship in 92 and Kevin Weiss gets drafted. And I'm almost putting them in the same category because I know Kevin. I don't know Michael Jordan. Um, but it was, you know, it was really cool. And Kevin's been setting the bar ever since, you know, doing his TV thing and doing investments. And him and I talk today and we talk about being, you know, management um, um, ex executives in our sport. Um, and, and we always share ideas and bounce things off of each other. Oh, that's awesome. Um, I can definitely say growing up as a black hockey player, those were two of the names that were known in my household for sure. And I remember Anson Carter, 2002 Olympics, Salt Lake City, right? Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure you've seen that gold medal, if not held it. Um, it was amazing. I was just there the other day and I was able to see his mom. And it's, it's just amazing when you get to see people from the day, you know, from the young age you are and they stay in the same neighborhood. You know, his mom still lives on the same street beside my mom and I'm there helping my mom do some stuff. And his mom just drove by and it was like, you know, saying hi and just, you know, remembering the times. So, so proud of all of what he's done. And uh, he's got a beautiful family. Um, uh, it's, it's really cool. Uh, that's awesome. Um, so uh, you grew up, uh, like you said, in North York, moved to Scarborough. So basically once high school was done and you were transitioning into university, um, you ended up at Lewis University. You ended up uh, doing some sports. So you want to tell us about that and then also your academics? So, yeah, the quick story is it's funny. You said the word academics and I wanted to make sure I pointed it out to people. I was actually working at McDonald's. Um, I started there at like the age of 16 and kind of worked there through high school, uh, mainly putting in a lot of time during the summer. And then obviously during, um, um, you know, times when we were out of school, but you know, there was a, there was a time when I decided I might just become a store manager at McDonald's. You know, I, I saw the potential that McDonald's has. I saw the uh, path of how they uh, were building their managers and their store managers. Um, but it, you know, I had this talent in track and field that I felt like, um, I'd rather try to experience, um, you know, being an athlete at a young age. Uh, nobody wants to run when they're 40. Um, and I decided I'd want to try to, you know, get the scholarship, get my education, um, and then I can always come back to McDonald's, right? Um, so it's interesting you say that because I know sometimes young people think they want to just go focus on their career right away or they want to go do this, this thing. But what you need to do is you need to kind of plan it out. And I was glad somebody sat me down and made me realize that, if I had worked at McDonald's, I'd probably be successful. I'd probably still be talking to you guys today, talking about either owning 10 franchises or running a dozen of them, right? So, but the interesting part was you can't run at the NCAAs really, you know, at an older age and you're not going to be truly, truly um, successful because you're obviously not going to be at your peak. Um, so I really got the chance to um, go to a junior college first, actually. It was Central Arizona College um, in um, Coolidge, 
of, of, of Arizona. So it's a really small town in between Phoenix and Tucson. And um, I was there first and I went there for a year. And then I transferred to Lewis University uh, where I was able to get a scholarship and also do my bachelor's degree. So I share that piece because you touched on it. The academics is very important and you've got to figure out how you apply yourself to it. It was easier for me to apply myself to school through sports because that was kind of the motiva motivation. You got to stay eligible. Uh, so anytime you didn't feel like you were um, hanging in there, you knew you had to go get some extra help because you don't want your grades to fall below uh, your scholarship, um, um, retaining your scholarship. And then also you want to make sure you keep your marks in a certain place so you can go to the track meets and, and different events. So um, academics was really important and, and it was really something that I wanted to prove to myself that I could accomplish and to know that I was able to do it by getting a scholarship and having my school paid for was even a more benefit to it. So um, that was kind of the, the transition of leaving high school, going to Central Arizona Junior College for a year and then going to do my undergrad at Lewis University. There's a lot there's a lot to um, unravel there because the McDonald, whole McDonald's experience, you're potentially looking at making a lot of money coming straight out of high school at 18. And then you're realizing versus going to college or university, sorry, which for most kids, it's it's expensive. Number one, you were didn't have a scholarship at first. So right, that right there is a daunting task. And then through all of that, that that's incredible, actually. And um, we also hear um, about the athletes and scholarships. And what you said puts the nail on the head, right? They they have that reason that gives them the extra reason. Yeah, it's it's something where I didn't have the scholarships all lined up perfectly and I didn't have everything clean with my clearinghouse, which is a NCAA protocol that you have to uh, meet to uh, be accepted into schools. And that, you know, was kind of like the first time that I had to realize there's there's this preparation that you have to start preparing yourself for. There's a professionalism that you have to start preparing yourself for. And I was one of the most professional people that I thought I, I could be at that age, but there's always a little bit more you could do. And there was a little bit more that you could research. And um, there weren't many people, like I said, outside of Anson and, and um, Kevin that could tell me about track and field and tell me about NCAA scholarships. Um, so this was kind of a process that I had to go through. My parents were very supportive, but were very naive and not very educated on sports and, and didn't really understand the sport business world of sorts. Um, so I was kind of in this alone, but I made sure to use as many resources as I could. And I, I, I put up my hand and said, I didn't know, which is hard to do for some people in life because uh, you never want to make it seem like you're not um, in tune with everything that's going on. So um, it was something that I was willing to put my head down and, and grind. And uh, it was funny when I left Canada, I'm, I'm ranked, you know, um, with records and AASA accomplishments and I'm, I'm this great athlete. And then I get to the U.S. and as soon as I got to school, they're like, well, when it comes to the relay team, you're probably on the C team, you know, and that's like the first time in a while that I'm being told I'm not on the A team. I'm not, you know, I'm not high level stuff. They're like, you got to prove yourself. Um, and again, that was just hunger that was able to build inside me to inspired me to, to get to the A team. And I was able to run with a guy named Kim Collins. If you look up, he's, he'd been ranked top 10 in the world uh, as a sprinter. Um, and, and, and he's kind of was like my next Kevin Weeks, you know, th this guy who is 140 pounds and about five, seven and can fly. Right. And I'm thinking, man, I thought everybody had to be 200 pounds with muscles 
and 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 um, you know get some height like Usain Bolt. Um, but here here's this guy who's just you know a, a professional athlete. He was you know was almost basically Olympian um, at school with us, um, and he inspired me every day. And eventually, I got to run with him on the eight team, and it was a great accomplishment. That's crazy. That's like I I, I they always I always hear athletes talk about the hunger and like when they get setbacks in their, in their paths and like, it just, it fuels them. And it's, it's always interesting to hear those stories because often you just, you hear it so often and that you take it for granted. It's like, Oh yeah, they're just, you know, they're mad because they didn't get the A team. So they're just going to fight for it. But hearing the stories and actually hearing like, Oh, I, you know, this actually changed my life by getting this setback. It's always refreshing to hear. So thank you for sharing. Um, but we're going to move on now with after Lewis, after you know your track and field career in NCAA, where you were an All-American, and there was records uh, that I'm sure people can go and search up, or if you want to mention them, you can. Um, but you had ended up attending uh, Marshall University, where you went for your master's, and you also uh, coached the women's track team. So I was just curious, how did how did that come about? How did you end up at Marshall's uh, taking? a master's degree and also coaching there. So, yeah, I mean, I, I just want to mention the Lewis university records, not for my own sake, but it's something where I look back and the records aren't broken. And to be honest, I expected them to be broken a couple of years later. I almost even joked um, with my coach at the time that I was like, man, for whoever breaks my record, I'm going to come back, shake their hand, get them a hundred bucks or something. Um, and I was like, no, I can't afford that. So I'm not going to put that out there, but now I almost need to put it out there because um it's been this long. If I don't have a hundred dollars by now, then I'm never going to get it. But um, I never thought my records would last this long, which is really, really cool. Um, I'm, I'm doing some mentorship now with Lewis, Lewis University. So that feels amazing to be able to be in a position to do that. Um, and yeah, I won't give any money directly to athletes as that might be an NCAA um, um, uh, violation. But, you know, Marshall was really cool because uh, the quick story again there was I actually left Lewis after graduating and came home, you know, not necessarily homesick, but I miss Canada. And I got a job working at Walmart. And guess what they wanted me to train to be? A store manager. So I was like, sign me up. They were paying good money. Walmart had actually just got to Canada. Um, and I was like, man, this is a great company, great philosophy. You know, this is something that I could really learn from. Um, and I kind of used it as this is not McDonald's, but they're very similar in the way that they handle business and the way they are able to own a, a percentage of the market, let's be honest. Um, so I was like, there's a lot to learn here. And to be honest, I loved it, got paid well, started missing sports, really started missing sports and really started missing the idea of being in the sport business world. I love the business of McDonald's. I love the business of Walmart. But what about the business of sport? And that's when I decided that I would look at other avenues that might get me back into that. And Francis Seeley, who was the track coach at Marshall University at the time, knew that I obviously ran in the States and had that experience and obviously had some records, um, which approved some accomplishments and, and some know-how. Um, she reached out to me and said, hey, would you want to get your master's degree and also coach? And I said, well, you know what? I'm making good money. But again, going back to that you know, high school experience, I can get my schooling paid for, I can coach and be back in sports. Um, I can kind of give back and help athletes. I said, I I'll take that over money. 
And um, I ended up at Marshall in, in West Virginia. Um, and, and to be honest, West Virginia was a different place at that time with all of the social justice stuff going on in the world. That was kind of my first real experience of seeing a state um, be a little bit different when it comes to um, just, you know, people of color and, 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 and kind of some of the stereotypes that you hear about. Um, so that was kind of a, a, a great, great experience for me. And I, I look back and I, I really enjoyed my time at Marshall. And coaching the girls team was because they didn't have a boys team because of title nine. Um, the boys team got cut. What was title nine? So title nine is a basically an equal um, sport uh, based programming at university. So uh, in the U.S., especially when you have football teams that generate a lot of money and you have a lot of other revenue generated sports, some of the non revenue um, gener generated sports don't get access. Right. So what Title IX was, did was it holds the school accountable for making sure that non-revenue sports have some equal rights to revenue um, sports. So you would lose a male sport maybe um, to gain a female sport because they would use the revenue from a sport to help pay for that sport. That's tough for if you happen to go to a school that has that and you played that sport. But overall, that's good. Right. Yeah, it all it all equals out in a way, you know, you'd have to, you know, if your home school was, you know, Marshall and you always wanted to go there and they didn't have a men's track team, then yeah, it makes it tough. Um, but that just means you have to maybe go to the rival West Virginia or somewhere else. But, uh, you know, that's that's the that's the challenge of trying to make things in the world fair for everyone. Right. Um, you've got to show that someone's going to be disappointed the same way you know, females would be disappointed if they never had the opportunity, right? So um, it's it's a great challenge of trying to figure out how you balance out all these things in the world for, for males, females, black, white, and et cetera. Um, but that's a great, great way of trying to be part of giving back. Awesome. So moving on now, you got your master's, you finished your, your time at Marshall. Now, I mean, the way the story is written, it seems like you would end up going back to retail, probably not Walmart this time, maybe something a little bit more fancier because you went McDonald's, then Walmart, something fancier. But it turns out you actually got the internship with the Raptors. And like, how does that how did that come about? How did you hear about just an internship? Because this would have been the Raptors were 15 years ago. So the Raptors are still somewhat new, right? Fairly new. Yeah, fairly new. And you know what? Uh, Corey, what's amazing about that transition was when I came home this time, I wasn't looking for someone to pay me. I wasn't looking for that retail experience or sorry, that business experience. I was now trying to create my own destiny. I was now saying I'm only doing basketball. No more track, male or female. No more retail, no more fast food. I am now doing basketball, male or female. And I'm going to do refereeing. I'm going to do uh, stats, uh, stats crew. I'll do whatever it is in basketball to build that experience, to build the network, to be paid. I wasn't going to work part time somewhere else. You know, I wasn't going to be at a restaurant. I wasn't going to be um, cleaning up, uh, you know, somewhere. I was only going to do basketball. It's the only way I was going to make money. So that meant I was hungry. I was I was out there refereeing house league. I was refereeing men's leagues. I was doing whatever it could 
to build the experience, to get a dollar in my pocket, but then to also network because I needed to now, I had to look back and say, okay, all my accomplishments are in track. All my accomplishments are at a fast food or a retail business. These are all the relationships I have. Basketball has always been the passion. I mean, we didn't mention it, but that's what I did in high school. You know, that's what I played and that's what I loved. I just didn't get any scholarships and I didn't get a lot of praise about it. So I had to move on, but I wanted to go back. And that's that's what I decided to do. And a lot of people don't make those decisions in life. They, they go and work somewhere and then they part-time sing or they part-time dance or they part-time podcast. Sometimes you just got to decide, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go all in. I'm going to invest in myself. As Fred said, bet on yourself. And I did. And when the internship came up, you know, everybody said you're, you're older than normal because you've got your master's. You've got a ton of experience. Why do you need this? And I said, I wanted to be part of one of the biggest and best sports and entertainment businesses in Canada. And that was Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment. And I will be humble. I will take a sacrifice of not being paid a ton of dollars. And I will work myself in just to get the experience. If it didn't work out after a couple of months or, or whatever it is that they offered me, I, I was willing just to take what I could learn from this great organization. And I'm still learning and I'm glad to be a part of it. And it's a dream come true. So what did that internship entail then? A little bit of everything. I was, I was doing everything. I mean, I was, an, I was basically an intern to the basketball office, the operational office. And then I had my hands um, tied to working with the scouting department. So um, a little bit of everything, man. It was, you know, I wasn't responsible for a ton of stuff. Some of the things that I was responsible for early was helping our scouts build a schedule for the year on where they were going to go, who they were going to see, um, re, you know, getting ticket requests for them, um, getting credentials for them for the events that they were going to. Some of these things you have to you have to pay for them in advance. Some of them you have to um, request in advance and 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 get all the paperwork in. Um, you know, something like the Maui Invitational was something that I didn't realize. Like it's an expensive. Uh, event and it's something that's done you know years a year in advance almost right um because that's how big this thing is so there there was this business side to sports that i was able to start to see and to be a part of and i was so hungry to learn it all and you know i take my hat off to steve fruitman and doreen doyle and obviously brian colangelo rob babcock these are all people that i worked with in the early stages that gave me access to learning and seeing this business and i wouldn't be where i am today without them well said. Um, that, that again, a lot of people, I think, like you said, don't realize the back end that goes into a lot of these these sports. And and my experience with MLSC and the years I've worked for MLSC, like even just planning events in the building in Scotiabank Arena, is intense. Like I've gone down to the events office before, and it's just a calendar on the wall and just stuff thrown everywhere. Pictures, names, something. Just okay. Here's this event. Here's that event. Here's this. Here's this. And it just it's craziness. So. That, that, that internship sounds awesome. And like, like you said, you were going for that business side and that seemed like that, that definitely fed your hunger there. So then what happened after, like after the internships done, say it was a year internship, what did you like, did you and the Raptors part ways? I know you, you're still with them now. So obviously that didn't happen, but what was the next step? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've told this story many times, so I'll, I'll tell it quickly. You know, when I actually got hired, I got hired by Rab Babcock. And, um, you know, about a month later, 
you know, he got relieved of his duties, unfortunately. Um, and that was kind of like the first wake up call in sports, right? Here's the person who's hired you. Here's the person that you're now looking to, to kind of build and grow you over the next period of time. And now he's gone. You know, you can say your leaders left the building um, and Mr. Embry took over. And that's really where my relationship with him really grew. And at that point, um, Brian Clangelo eventually hired. And when my internship was done, um, it actually was the end of the year. Um, a lot of people's contracts were up. Um, Brian had to make some decisions and he let some people go before he started with us. And then he let some people go after our year ended. And in my case, he didn't let me go. He actually gave me a job and hired me as a coordinator of basketball operations, um, where I still did a lot of the same things that I did as an intern, but now I was responsible for them. And then I was responsible for, you know, hiring the intern and kind of working with them and showing them a little bit of what I used to do as an intern. So now I've developed, you know, we'll call it a leadership position at a coordinator level, but I've already now taken on a new role and a new opportunity. And boy, I tell you, those were some exciting times. That's uh, wow. That's a lot. So that's a, that's a big jump from the internship to, you know, the coordinator role, but I want to jump over a couple more years. So it's 2014, you're promoted to the director of player development and operations. What did that position have? Uh, what did it roles did it have and what did it entail in a sense? So I think at that point, Matthew, you know, I've really been part of the organization for a while now and I've been helping in the ops um, business and basketball side. I've been done doing a lot in the scouting side Masai had um, joined us by now, and he has now restructured the staff again. So I've kind of gone through another transition where I've had to pivot. Um, but at this point, this is where we really started, you know, looking at our player development side and thinking how we could get the best out of our athletes. And what I, per, you know, kind of prescribed to Masai was I wanted to kind of be part of that development stage of getting our athletes to another level, not only on the court, but off the court. And how do we start looking at the things that impact them, like sleep, nutrition, um, mental health, wellness? Um, and these are the kind of the areas that we started diving into more and starting to get a lot more resources provided to our players. And then we also still wanted to make sure that we maintained a high level of building their brand and having them um, work in the communities and, 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 you know, visit places like Launchpad and, and build programs within the Launchpad. So these are the type of roles that I took on in this new director uh, position that I had. Did you find it tough for some of the new players to adjust to the structure that you guys wanted for your development program, or was it fairly easy for them to get used to it? Um, you know what? It, it was, it's what they make of it. It's going to be a little tough at first because we've got such a great in-depth program with our G League team, for example. That's part of our development process, getting players to really get reps and opportunities down there so you know we've got an opportunity where players may play two games in a day practice twice in a day um, these are things that they've got to mentally be prepared for and to build uh, the right mindset for and, and and we make sure that the players we bring in and interview are the right guys with character and and, and high integrity to having ambition to building uh, to be great and to dream big it's not it's never too hard but there is some explaining to to do there's some scheduling to do um you've got to have great communication so that guys know where they need to be and what they've got next coming up on the calendar uh, because as you can see you know you saw it this year with malachi flynn and and uh, jalen harris they were they were in our g league bubble and then they're on our nba 
rosters and they're playing minutes, you know, and they're, and they're trying to get better. Uh, and it's, and it's a grind. Yeah. I was noticing that the play that they had was uh, amazing for the season and especially for their rookie season. So it's great to see the development and I hope that they, uh, they come back stronger next year. I wanted to touch on what you said about getting some of these players, their reps, uh, specifically, I wanted to speak out what stood out for players like Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Chris Boucher, and OG uh, that made you guys comfortable to add them to your main roster at the time. Well, I mean, they, all the ones you mentioned all had, you know, great potential and, and their ceilings are unlimited, right? So they already had the attributes coming in. Our job is to enhance those and to um, show them how to be more efficient, show them how to be more resourceful. Um, it's really to get them to buy into what the plan is for what's next for them to get better. As you can see in the past, you've, you've seen players like Vince and Chris Bosch. There's transitions to this game. You've got to add something new to your, to your game every summer. You know, DeMar did that very well. Um, so these, these guys were able to adopt these, these policies and principles that we have in place to help them uh, build out what our philosophy is when when it comes to player development. So they're, they're, they were all players who put in the work and, and have been rewarded uh, for that. Yeah, I, they definitely got uh, the big reward having some of them win the 2016, I believe, G League title. And then obviously everyone knows the 2019 NBA championship. So the next question I have would kind of be related to the draft night or draft combine. Uh, what stood out for watching some players uh that you guys are comfortable drafting and specifically maybe some older players for the fans like DeLon Wright, Yako Portal, and our current players still Malcolm, oh, Malcolm Miller. Well, for, for us, it's always going to be the best talent, right? It's never going to um, come down to anything but that, you know, you got to get the best players uh, at that position. Um, you're not worried about who goes before who it's, who's the best player at that time. And, um, you know, we've been able to do a great job. Uh, a shout out to, you know, Dan Tozman and Bobby Webster and uh, Teresa and our leadership team in, in finding ways of getting this together. Um, and we're going to, you know, we're getting ready to do it again. You know, we've got some new, uh, some new um, voices in our office in Luke Quinn and uh, Keith Bjorski um, does a lot of stuff from the analytical side. So we've got a, a system in place that really helps us to fine-tune who these uh, great athletes are and who's a great fit for not only um, Toronto in our environment, but also for what Nick Nurse and his team is looking to do on the court. That's very well said. Thank you. Thank you very much for answering those. No problem, man. That was uh, that was our power, uh, player development corner with, uh, with Matt there. Love it. So going back to last year, last July, you uh, entered into the current position which you're in, which is the Vice President of Basketball and Franchise Operations at the Raptors 905. So the question around that would be, how has it been after a year as you come up to a year this July? Uh, and then what do you see for the 905 going forward? Because the 905, like Matt said, have already won a championship in the G League. Like what's, how do you see the 905 and, and how, how do you think they're going to go forward? Because they've been a strong team. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's interesting. You know, a lot of times people want to look at this pandemic and put a lot of negativity on it and, I can honestly say, you know, during the pandemic, I, I got a promotion uh, that that's been amazing. Uh, I got an opportunity of be building a team that's had great success in the past, as you mentioned. Um, but it continuing the success is the challenge. Um, you know, something that I want to shout out is I worked at McDonald's and Walmart, and I want Raptors 905 to have some of those attributes that they have, which is 
long lasting brands, right? McDonald's is still McDonald's in 2021. I can tell you because my eight-year-old son loves it. Um, and I never want to take them there and I don't even really support it like that. But their brand is so powerful that 2021 kids still love it, right? And Walmart obviously has been able to move to Canada and do their thing. And that's what we want to do with Raptors 905. We want to be big in the community. We want people to dream and realize that this is an option for them. My man, Nick Stauskas, um, was in the bubble and he said, hey, if the genie was around, that would have been a dream. You know, the NBA is the only thing he can dream of because that's the only thing he knew of when he was growing up. But now that he got a chance to play on our G League team, he was excited to do it because he knew it was going to inspire somebody um, in Canada to play the game and to at least try to achieve that goal as a goal. Right. Um, so our job is to build this G League to be, uh, the, the, you know, the next level of basketball in the country that people are, are willing to come see our talent before it gets to the NBA. We really. Uh, have shown that we can do that and, and people can start trusting our, our scouting team to put the best talent right in front of them and give them early access and get even more access. Maybe that's my job. I love the idea of giving people more access at the G league level than you get at the NBA level. Um, again, my court side, I say my, our Raptor 905 courtside seats are much cheaper. So come and get a little closer view, right? Um, so those are the type of things that we're going to continue to build. Championships is what we're after. We're not worried about the ones we won in the past. Let's go win the ones in the future. We had a great record and a great run in this G League um, bubble this year, but we didn't win it. So we've got something to make up for. Well said. I think a lot of what you touched on too is just from, again, like I said earlier, we're a hockey, three hockey minds here. It's the Toronto Marlies when MLSE brought the, where were they? St. John's, St. John's Maple Leafs, straight out of St. John's, Newfoundland. They brought the team back over to Toronto, set them up in Rico Coliseum. Everybody was like, what? This isn't going to work. How are you going to have two Toronto hockey teams? Right. But MLSE found a way and the Leafs found a way to make it work and, and grow the game. And I know that they've done it through a lot of schools and, and camps and get kids in the building, get them to see the next generation, have them be inspired by a lot of kids that might be not that much older than them on the ice uh, developing. To, to chime in on that, Corey, um, MLSC has done very well with both hockey and basketball, though, because if you think about it, in the last five years, the Marlies have won uh, the, um, um, the championship, the Calder Cup, and um, the Raptors 905 have won the G League, and the Raptors have won the NBA title, and the Leafs are in a position as it looks like right now to do the same, but that's yet to be said for. So, and then also Courtney, a question I had for you um, to uh, talk a little bit more about your position and growing the game in Canada. Do you guys have any plans for grassroots basketball programs or do you guys have any initiatives that you're already involved in through the 905 that can help with that? Yeah, so right now we've got a program this summer um, Connect, connected, we're doing a little bit of collaboration with active scholars. And uh, we plan to do more uh, where we can when, when we can do coaches, clinics, and so forth. There's only so much we can do when it starts getting into the youth, as we um, can't necessarily run academies of sorts the way Toronto FC may do right now, um, especially with players being drafted um, out of high school potentially, you know, coming back into the NBA. And right now, currently, high school players can play in the G League. So there's a little bit of sensitivity um, to, to how we operate going forward. But 
to your point, we eventually do see a bigger plan and we can start to, you know, start to find a way to start growing um, our, our athletes at a younger age. Um, again, I look at, you know, leagues like the CEBL and the MBL. These are leagues that have some of our um, 905 coaches sometimes participate in. You'll see some players participate in them. You know, these are all things that are going to start growing the game even more in this country. And at some point, eventually, uh, we will get to um, other type of programming um, within the certain rules that the NBA and the G League will continue to build. That would be very nice to see. Because, like, from a hockey standpoint, hockey is so deeply rooted in Canada. And the way the hockey system works from minor to professional, you have a plethora of choices of where you want to play, whatever skill, it doesn't matter. And it doesn't matter where you live, too. It, but unfortunately, it's not not the same can be said for basketball. So I really wish you guys luck in that endeavor. And, like, the bas- the rise of Canada basketball is on the, it's on the rise, sorry. And hopefully you guys can contribute to that. So the last question I had for you, um, you've already dropped a bunch of gems, like quite a few. And I love, I like some in particular, but so this one is kind of a personal question for me. What would, what advice would you have to a young black professional or a coach who's trying to make their work, their way in the business of sports or just in the sports world? Yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to the things that I said earlier, right? You've got to really start to look on how you can build it. You cannot always depend on somebody else. I remember when I was looking at the scholarship scenario, you know, you kind of sit at home and it was like, check the mail. Did I get any schools that wrote me today? And it was like, check the mailbox. And it was like, check your email. And it was like, but how many calls did I do? You know, how many calls did I make? I should have been making more calls. I should have been telling people what I can do. And that's kind of where the social media world kind of plays a role sometimes. It's like, hey, I can sell shoes. I'll put it on social media or I can do this. But at some point, you've got to also do that for your career and you've got to find a professional way of doing that. So uh, for people going into the sports world, it's, it's, it's what you know, but it's also what you could create because at some point to get a job interview, you need to be able to have experience and you need to be able to say what it is you're going to do. And the only way to truly say it is to do it, right? So you find a way to do it, even if it's on a small scale. Just like you said, with hockey, you have no reason to not go help out an OHL team, an AHL team, a Marley's team in Toronto, a Leafs team in Toronto. Like there's so much hockey platforms that you should be able to go somewhere and get some reps and, 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 and apply yourself and learn and eventually learn enough that you can eventually ask those people if they need that going forward and they can pay you to do it. Otherwise you got to go sell it to somebody else. So at some point, a lot of times I know we sit at home and we kind of wait to see what's out there, but you've got to create it. You've got to build it. You've got to get the experience up. You've got to network. A lot of the times you'll meet people by volunteering. You'll meet people by helping out. Um, like with athletes, I'll I'll touch on something that I think Corey said offline um, that I think was really amazing. He was coached by, by, you know, an employee with us. And, and to be honest, I got introduced to Lululemon who I became an ambassador to, to, because it was the athlete who I coached, who I, I set expectations. I set a standard for him. I held him accountable and he loved it. 
And he loved it to the point that 10 years later, he had this Lululemon opportunity where he was like, man, this would be great for Courtney because we had developed a relationship. And now he introduced me to something new. I knew, I knew nothing about Lululemon. I thought it was a woman's clothing line. I thought they did nothing but yoga stuff. And here they are, Lulu sport jackets, Lulu dress pants, and, and he's now educating me. But that's only because he knew how much I invested into him that he was trying to find a way to give back to me. And that's the way that this world goes around and around is if you, if you can't get paid to do it, find a way to volunteer, find a way to offer help, find a way to get some reps and, and eventually take those experiences and create them into something that somebody will hire you for. I like that. Very well said. Thank you for joining us. Um, this was awesome. Like um, this has been a great, great interview. You're a great speaker. Uh, definitely a top three one for us for sure. But um, yeah, guys, thanks for tuning in. Um, this was Courtney Charles again, vice president of basketball operations for the Raptors 905. Like he said, you know, once it's safe to do so, join them courtside. You know, they got a little bit cheaper tickets and you get to see good basketball and get to support some support the community as well. So, Courtney, any last remarks before we sign off? Uh, Manny, I saw that in your in your questions as a nickname, so I'm gonna call you that. Uh, Matthew, Corey, thank you for all that you guys do. Um, I was privileged to be here with you all. You all are young people in the making. Um, I really wanted to be here on first and early with you all while you're growing and you're learning um, to encourage you and to keep pushing you as, you know, sometimes people think that, you know, you got to go on the highest level of things or you got to do things on big scales. But I'm here to tell you, I'm a community guy. I'm a person that likes to motivate people from early in their careers. And I'm, I'm a resource for you going forward. So anything that I can help you all with, please let me know. Um, I'll help you on the business side. I'll help you get guests, whatever it is you need. I'm just, I'm passionate about you guys being eager for doing this and to sharing people's stories and especially sharing Canadian ones, um, which is something that we truly need to do a lot more of because we are truly talented. We truly have a lot to dream for and, 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 and do and accomplish in this world. And again, the, the platform that you guys have is going to be a great one. So I thank you again. Keep up the good work and here if you need me. Courtney Charles, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. And um, this is Mandela for Unknown TO. For Matt and Corey signing off. You guys know what's coming next.